0: And turn with me this morning to John chapter 15, Gospel according to John chapter 15. Rebecca and I were talking recently about one of our uh, great childhood Christmas traditions, the... uh, the annual looking through of the jc penny christmas catalog uh, you could flip through that book and any possible toy you could ever want would be there and you could you know take a pen and circle things to kind of leave hints for mom and dad you could dog ear pages in case they were having to look through where they would find it some of you maybe it was a sears roebuck catalog um, i couldn't help but smile when we Went to the mailbox uh, a few days ago, opened it up, and inside there is an Amazon Christmas catalog filled with all the toys any kid could want. It was like this physical reminder of how things have changed and yet they are still very much the same. Um, it would be easy for us to imagine that we have somehow grown more impatient than we were in the past because in the past you would look through that catalog and if you wanted something in it you might have to fill out a form and mail it to them and then they would have to get it and mail it back to you or you might call 1-800 number and tell them what you want. Now you can go on Amazon or many other places online and you can put something in your cart, hit checkout and then in two business days we expect it should be from their warehouse to our front porch. Um, that expectation of, of speed is I don't think so much a, a, a new thing as much as it is a symptom of something that has always been true, that we as humans are not good at waiting. There are many examples in the Bible of God causing His people to wait for His promise to be fulfilled. And when you read through, especially in the Old Testament, it can be easy to gloss over that waiting. But then you think about the fact that, oh, God made Abraham and Sarah wait 25 years from the time He gave them the promise to the time Isaac was born. 25 years is a long time. It's longer than some of you in this room have been alive. God made the people in Egypt wait 400 years before He redeemed them from slavery. God made the people in Babylon wait 70 years before He brought them back to the Promised Land. And God made them wait a very long time before He sent the Messiah. The prophets waited a long time for the Messiah to come. And so those examples are helpful precisely because we still find ourselves in that same posture of waiting The Messiah has come, but He is coming again. And while there is much for us to do during this time of waiting, He also, as we're going to see this morning in John 15, commands us to abide, to remain, to wait. And so let's read together and hear the words of Jesus in John 15. We're going to begin in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would help us to hear that as good news, that apart from you we can do nothing. And God, as we hear these words, these are your words, um, God, that we would agree with them, that we would uh, be given understanding of them, And God, that ultimately we would um, apply them, live them out in our lives. So help us, Lord, to hear with ears of faith, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what I want us to do this morning as we kind of crossing the threshold of Thanksgiving into the Christmas season, we are entering what is, for many people, the busiest time of year. And um as I've gotten older and life inherently gets more complicated as you get older, I've come to understand that for many people there is an external busyness to this season. There are people to visit, there are gifts to purchase and gifts to wrap, there are meals to prepare and so on. You're, you're going, going, going. But there is also during this time of year an internal busyness. For many people, there is a kind of turmoil that exists not on the outside, but on the inside in our hearts and in our minds. And so I I want us to hear this morning Jesus' words, especially in the context of this busy season, especially what he says in verse 5, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So my goal is to help us pause right here on the threshold of this busy season and take stock of what is really important. What really matters? What really lasts? There are lots of things that we're going to get worked up over the next few weeks about that aren't going to mean anything this time next year. But we need to think about what's going to matter 10 trillion years from now. So, I want us to point our attention to three things we cannot do apart from Jesus. He says, Apart from me, you can do nothing, and I'm just going to point our attention to three nothings that we can do apart from Him. First, apart from Jesus, we cannot have real life. Apart from Jesus, we cannot have real life. There is no spiritual life outside of Jesus. To use the analogy of the vine and the branches, unless we have been grafted into the true vine, we are lifeless sticks. It doesn't matter how much we have going on, it doesn't matter how much we have going for us. It doesn't matter how vibrant our personality or how full our calendar. Unless we are in Christ, we cannot have real life. All other life is superficial. All other life is fleeting. It's passing away. Apart from the true vine, we are spiritually dead. This image of the vine, where He says, "I'm the true vine," it's it's something that didn't come out of nowhere. For one thing, Jesus was in the business of being understood by people. And the people that He was talking to knew about vines and branches. If Jesus was in South Alabama, He probably would have said something like, I am the pecan tree or something. You know, he would have used an analogy that we, we would get. Well, vines, that's something that people in the first century Palestine, that they got. But it's even more significant than that. Because all through the Old Testament, God likened the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, to a vine that he had planted. And so when Jesus comes along the scene and says, I am the true vine, what he's saying is Israel, meaning the nation, the, the ethnic people, Israel is not the true vine. I am. If you want to be grafted into God's people, it's not about being grafted into Israel. It's not about your ethnicity. It's not about your nationality. It's about, are you in Christ? It's about being grafted into Him. And so Jesus was taking a word picture that they would have known, and He was flipping it on its head. In Ezekiel 15, however, God explains why He used that analogy. I mean, after all, if you you really want to kind of blow your mind you could think back to the fact that all the way back in Genesis when God made vegetation, He is the one who made sure that vines were growing in Palestine so that one day Jesus could come along and say, I'm the true vine. And so God explains why He used that analogy. Why did He create vines the way they are? And why did He tell Israel that they are vines and branches and that sort of thing? God says in Ezekiel 15 that His point is that a vine branch... Is limited in its usage. A vine branch is not like a tree branch. Uh, He he says that a, a branch on a large tree is something that you could take and you could make lots of things out of it. You could make a vessel, you could make some kind of big bowl for your home and put things in it. But a vine branch is not like that. A vine branch is, is, God says, is not even good for making a peg that you could hang on the wall to hang the bowl on. A vine branch is only good for one of two things. It's good for bearing fruit, or it's good for burning. Those are the only two things God says that vine branches are good for in Ezekiel 15. You can, they, they bear fruit, they produce grapes and olives and all kinds of good things, or they can be burnt and used for fuel. So fruit or fuel. And here in John 15, Jesus is reminding us of a similar truth. He talks about every branch that does not bear fruit, He takes away and gets thrown away and burned. Every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. But before we get to talking about bearing fruit, before a branch can bear any fruit, it must first be attached to the vine. A branch that is not attached to the vine is worthless. And that's the whole point. So the first thing that has to happen is it has to be grafted into the vine. It has to be vitally connected to the vine. It can't just be sort of tied to the vine with string because otherwise it's still going to wither and dry up. That's just an external thing. It has to be internally, vitally connected into the vine. Apart from Jesus, we cannot have real life. The second thing I want us to see this morning is that apart from Jesus, we cannot have real purpose. Apart from Jesus, we cannot have real purpose. God says in His Word that we were created to glorify Him. That is why we exist. We don't exist for ourselves. Our fundamental purpose in life is to glorify the One who made us. And Jesus goes on to say here in John 15, look down at what He says in verse 8. "...by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." So if we're going to fulfill our fundamental purpose of glorifying God, that means we must bear fruit. He says that God is glorified by our bearing fruit. And we cannot bear fruit apart from Jesus. So what that means is, apart from Jesus, and and I don't mean this in a harsh way, but it's the truth. Apart from Jesus, our life is meaningless. Apart from Jesus, we live and die, and then that's the end. Eternity in hell. Apart from Jesus, we're totally turned in on ourselves. Apart from Jesus, we live for ourselves, we think of ourselves. Apart from Jesus, we cannot be what God has made us to be. When we abide in the true vine, however, we bear fruit for the glory of God. Now what does he mean by bearing fruit? He goes on to explain what he means, and he means primarily two things. Bearing fruit means obeying His commands and loving one another. So it means that our lives are directed toward God, we're obeying Him, and our lives are being lived for other people, we're loving one another. So... Bearing fruit means that we're not living for ourselves. It means that we're living for the glory of God and for the good of others. But I want you to catch what Jesus says in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He, that is God, the vine dresser, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, I am not... I don't have a green thumb, okay? So I kind of have to... Uh, listen to what the experts say. And my, my gist of what Jesus means here is that branches, if you don't keep them in check, they just kind of grow and grow and grow. And all of the sap, all of the energy gets used for, for growth and not for fruit bearing. And so a good gardener has to come in and prune so that the energy is not being used to just kind of get bigger and bigger and bigger and spread, 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 but it's to bear fruit. And so what that means practically for us is that if we want to bear fruit in our lives for the good of others and for the glory of God, then we are going to have to submit to that pruning. It means that we're not going to, have, we're not going to be just everything we want to be and do everything we want to do. But we're going to have to submit to God's pruning in our lives. If we're abiding in the true vine, then He's going to prune away the vine dresser is going to prune away things in our lives that hinder us from bearing fruit. And what might those things be that would hinder us from bearing fruit? The most obvious thing is sin. Um, sin hinders fruit bearing. It's, it's God's grace that He prunes us slowly. He, he doesn't expect immediate perfection of us. He's patient with us. Over the course of our life, He prunes here and there. And you know what I've found in my own life and in the lives of everybody else I know is that sometimes the thing God prunes, those things try to grow back. And just because you do good you know, with a certain sin for a week or a month or a year doesn't mean it's not going to try to grow back. But the vine dresser is patient. He doesn't ever get frustrated. He doesn't ever say, this Vine just Vine This branch just keeps trying to grow back that same stem. Why won't it ever stop? He just patiently prunes. He's patient with us, and so we should have some patience with ourselves. So that's one thing that would hinder us from bearing fruit is sin. But there are other things beyond sin in life that the vine dresser lovingly and wisely prunes away. Hebrews 12.1 gives this really helpful paradigm. It encourages us to lay aside every weight... "...and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us." So the, in the analogy of Hebrews 12.1, there are sins in our lives that drag us down, that you know, cause us to be sluggish in our running. But then there are other things in life that do the same thing. And they're not sinful, but they're just encumbrances, they're hindrances, they're weights, as it says. Not everything that hinders us from running the race is sinful... And not everything that hinders us from bearing fruit is sinful. There are plenty of things in life that are morally neutral, but that the Father lovingly and wisely prunes away nonetheless. Uh, There are things that take up your time, that are time-consuming, some kind of hobby or a pastime. There's nothing sinful about it, but... You just only have so many hours in the day. And if you want to live your life maximally for the glory of God, then you might have to cut that out. A responsibility. There may be some responsibility that is not primary or essential. That if, if all things were considered, you'd love to be able to do it. But you just look at it and say, you know what? I wish I could do that, but I can't. Because I have, these are my other responsibilities I have to do. And if I want to bear fruit for Jesus, then there are going to be some things in life that I'm going to have to say no to. We are finite creatures. We only have so much time and energy and money, so we have to choose to say yes only to the things that are going to help us bear the fruit of obedience and love. So, apart from Jesus, we cannot have real life, we cannot have real purpose, and third, apart from Jesus, we cannot have real hope. Real hope. Notice one more time what he says in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. And then notice this phrase. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. The connection of the vine and the branch is not one way. It's not just that the the branches abiding in the vine, it's also that the vine is abiding in the branch. And so there's not only a command here for us to abide in Him, there's also a promise of His abiding with us. This is why we have real life. It's why we have meaning and purpose, and it's why we can have hope. Because Jesus promises to abide with those who are truly His. Sometimes the wisest thing we can do is to take one of the promises of God's Word and turn it into a prayer. That's what we see the psalmists do over and over and over. God says, here's what I'll do, and they say, okay, God, do that that you said you would do. And so we plead with Him to do what He's already promised to do. There's a a hymn called, Abide With Me. If you have a bulletin, I put a copy of it in there. Um, It was written by Henry Francis Light. He was Scottish, but he lived in Ireland uh, in 1847 during the Great Potato Famine, when lots of people were dying in Ireland. He wrote this hymn during that famine. And uh, later, he set this hymn to music while he was literally lying on his deathbed. Three weeks after he put this to music, he died of tuberculosis. I want you to listen to these words. Uh, If you have the copy there in front of you, you can read along with me. Abide with me, fast falls the even tide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. Come not in terror as the king of kings, but kind and good with healing in thy wings. Tears for all woes, a heart for every plea. Come, friend of sinners, thus abide with me. I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself my guide and strength can be, though through cloud and sunshine... O abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life and death, O Lord, abide with me. I wanted to give you that as a handout so that you can take it with you. There are some extra copies on the back table as you leave today in case you didn't get one or if you want to take one to someone else. My encouragement to you is, is, is just to take these words and direct them to God as your prayer. Whether you find yourself physically, externally busy or whether you find yourself internally busy In chaos and turmoil, you can speak to Jesus and plead with Him to abide with you. So the way it works is, you know, you you read through it and if you feel lonely, you can say to Him, When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, O abide with me. If change brings you sorrow, you can say to Him, O thou who changest not, abide with me. If you feel confused or exhausted, you can say to Him, Who like thyself my guide and strength can be through cloud and sunshine, O abide with me? If you find yourself fearful, you can say to Him, I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. And if this season is tinged with the sting of loss, you can say to Him, Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. The great assurance we have is that the one who called himself the true vine has gone before us. He experienced all the trials and sorrows and temptations of life, yet he never sinned. He entered fully into death, and God raised him from the dead, and he will come again to make all things new. Until then, he has promised to abide with us. He has promised his abiding presence with us. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are remembering that sacrificial substitution. We are proclaiming our certain hope in His promises, and we're also enjoying His abiding presence with us. We can only have this life, this purpose, and this hope if we have been truly united to Him by faith, by trusting in Him and turning from our sins. I want to urge us this morning, as Paul warned the Corinthians not to eat the bread and drink the cup in an unworthy manner, Um, whoever does so, Paul says, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now, I used to struggle with that, what Paul says about not taking the bread and cup in an unworthy manner because if we have half a brain, we shouldn't feel worthy. Uh, If we we really understand the holiness of God, we should not be able to sort of puff our chest up and say, yeah, yeah, I'm totally worthy to, to come into your presence. That's not what he means when he talks about taking it in a worthy manner. It doesn't mean perfection. It means repentance. It means trusting in Him. So you don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be looking to Jesus in faith as your only Savior, the only giver of life. And So I want us just to take a moment and pause, examine our hearts, and then I'll, I'll pray for us. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to take the bread and cup today, I pray that you would uh, help us to do so uh, in a worthy manner. God, that we would not be like those who have eyes but don't see and who have ears but don't hear. But God, we would have eyes of faith to behold your goodness Lord, that we would truly discern your body and blood in these elements, and uh, that we would participate in this meal of thanksgiving and celebration and proclamation of your grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Chad.